We travel down the Palm Sunday Road next on Growing Grace. And this crowd took branches of palm trees. Of course, that's where we get the name Palm Sunday. And they threw them on the ground in front of him as Jesus is coming down that same road and cried out a psalm, Psalm 118. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Now, Hosanna is transliterated to save now. That's what it means. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your Hi there, and welcome again to Grow in Grace. By the way, speaking of welcomes, we'll take a look today at the welcome Jesus received on his way into Jerusalem. It's the last week of the life of Christ on earth and his last public appearance before going to the cross. He receives a royal welcome, but soon the welcome will turn into jeers. Here's Pastor Ed Ray in John chapter 12, with the triumphal entry. We're working our way through the New Testament, verse by verse. We're in John chapter 12, verse 12. John writes, the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met Jesus because they heard that he had done this miracle, this sign. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who had come up to worship at the feast. And then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Would you make that your prayer this morning? We wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, that you've left this roadmap for us, that we might understand how our own lives are to be ordered. Help us, Lord, to see you more clearly here. Send your spirit to teach us that we might be different when we leave this place. We ask that in Jesus' name and all of God's people agreed by saying, Amen. 
More than 60 years ago, on March 1st, 1962, the greatest ticker tape parade ever was held for the American astronaut John Glenn in New York City. After he became the first American to orbit the Earth in a spacecraft, now, the New York Sanitation Department said that they cleaned up 3,474 tons of ticker tape, confetti, and other paper along the seven-mile route of the parade. That was before we were really very conscientious about the trees that were being destroyed making the paper, but there it was. I mean, about 100 years before that, the Prussian Chancellor Otto von Bismarck decided to throw a parade for himself to come into the city of Jerusalem. And he had so many troops with him and bands and marching horses and cannons. He himself was on a white stallion. They had to open up the wall, tear down part of the wall of Jerusalem so he could come through. The humble guy that he was, of course. Now, on the 10th of Nisan, the Jewish month, or April 6, 32 AD, according to our calendar, Jesus Christ came through the eastern gate of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Now, we've been looking at the effects of Jesus' seventh miracle in the Gospel of John. If you're just joining us, the Gospel of John is different than the other three Gospels it's built around four miracles that Jesus did. Now, John said, if he tried to write down all the miracles that Jesus said, all the books in all the world couldn't contain them. But he chose these seven because they showed that Jesus is the Messiah, the creator, the king of heaven. And so the last one of the seven that he presented was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And it was to kind of be the, the final miracle, the final sign that he was Lord, master, ruler over the laws of physics and chemistry and mathematics. And each one of those seven miracles shows that he was able to do things that no prophet or miracle worker before or since had ever done. All that to convince you and us, you and me, that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and believing that, we might have eternal life. That's John's whole reason, he said, for writing the gospel. So that you and I might understand who Jesus is, believe him, and then be given the free gift of eternal life. So, now, think about death for a moment. Uh, Pastor, I'd rather not. And eh, we're all going to go through it. Get used to it. Nobody gets out alive unless Jesus' second return happens during our life. But imagine if you knew, if God somehow told you in advance that you would die in seven days, what would you do during those seven days? Would you do your bucket list? You know, those things that you've always wanted to do, but were worried they were gonna, that you might be killed doing them? <laughs> you know, jumping out of an airplane with a parachute or surfing the biggest wave of Jaws or whatever your thing is? Or would you go see friends, old friends you hadn't talked to for a while, and maybe apologize for a few things, make sure everything was good between you and your friends? 
Or would you plan your funeral? Would you, you know, decide who's going to do the eulogy and who's going to read a scripture, or what pastor's going to be officiating, those sort of things? What would you do if you knew that seven days in advance? That's what Jesus is doing in this chapter. From here to the end of the Gospel of John are the last seven days of Jesus' life. He is in his final week. And he is going through doing the same things that he's always done. Now, he had done this fantastic kind of the, the coup de grace of all miracles by raising a dead man who'd been dead for four days in the grave. Now, imagine that if you went to somebody's funeral, they put him in the box, put him in the hole, threw dirt on top, had a service, and everybody went home. But then four days later, that person showed up at your front door. Lazarus is so completely healed after four days there in the grave that the next night he throws a party at his own house. It's a supper, a resurrection party, if you will. And he invites Jesus and the disciples and the Jewish leaders and all the neighbors, and they all come to his home in Bethany. It's a little village right on the edge of Jerusalem, kind of on the outskirts of the city itself. So Jesus is arranging things so that all the prophecies that were from the Old Testament happen at just the right time, at just the right moment. And he's going to come into the gate at Jerusalem on a day that Daniel predicted 600 years earlier, to the day, which means that any Jew should have been able to do the mathematics because in Daniel chapter 9, he actually gives the number of years to the day. And that's the day that Jesus comes in. I'm trying to impress on you how God is a God of order and he puts everything into its own time frame in your life and in mine. And so his own life is, as you would expect, perfectly ordered. Now, Jesus comes in on a donkey, which is not what his disciples expected, nor what anyone else. They didn't see it coming. They expected God to do something like the biggest stallion in Israel or something that Jesus would come in on. But God is like that. He likes to do unexpected things in your life and in mine. Do you recognize that in your life? When it's a still small voice, when it's not thunder, when it's not light, it's not an earthquake, but God just speaks to you probably through somebody you never expected to hear God's voice through. Part of that, Jesus came in an unexpected way into Jerusalem to teach us about God's ways are different than ours. But they're very predictable, as we'll see as we get into this. You're listening to Grow in Grace and a study based in John 12 from Pastor Ed Ray. Here he is with more. This section breaks up into three parts. Uh, the Palm Sunday Road, 12 through 19, the first part we went through. Then the middle part, we wish to see Jesus. That verse I paused on and encouraged you to pray that. And I still would. 
and then 23 to 25, how to see the king. Jesus tells them and us, you and I, how to see, how to encounter, how to have a connection with him, the king of heaven and earth. So let's jump in and they expect to be surprised. The triumphal entry, sometimes called the royal entry. On the next day, verse 12, Jesus is in Bethany and he comes down the road into Jerusalem. It says the great multitude had come in for the feast. Josephus said two million people crammed into Jerusalem, a city of 100,000 in the first century, just for the feast. And this is the feast called Passover. Now, quick review, you might remember that Passover was celebrating when the Jews were released from Egypt. They had been enslaved people in Egypt for 400 years. God sends Moses, says, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses said yes nine times, and finally the last time, ten, no. Well, the tenth plague was a plague that came on the people of Egypt that they had been doing to the Jews. Do you remember that when Moses was born, he had to be put in the Nile River so that he wouldn't be killed because the Egyptians were killing all the Jewish babies, the boys. So the last of the 10 plagues was that an angel would come and kill all the firstborn in every home that didn't have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. What? Yeah, that's the Passover that you would bring a lamb into your family and then on the 10th of Nisan, that day, you would sacrifice a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and then the lintel on each side. You make a sign of a cross by putting the blood on it. And the death angel will pass over that house, just like death will pass over your house if you have put yourself under the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's the feast that they're celebrating, kind of like our 4th of July, only it runs for seven days, independence. Their independence was from slavery in Egypt, verse 13. And this crowd took branches of palm trees. Of course, that's where we get the name Palm Sunday. And they threw them on the ground in front of him as Jesus is coming down that same road we were just looking at and cried out a psalm, the same psalm, that you were read to at the beginning of this service, Psalm 118. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Now, Hosanna is transliterated to save now. That's what it means. Save now. Save what? They meant, and they missed it, they meant save us from the Romans. What God meant was save us from the consequences of your sins. To be saved from the punishment of your sins. But they're singing the right song and the right words, but they don't understand what they're singing. Now, the palm tree is significant in Israel, really still to this day. In fact, the most common Jewish name for a girl is Tamar, which is Jewish for a palm. They think it's the most beautiful tree. It's symmetrical, etc. trims itself. And it is found on coins from the first century, pottery, a very popular picture. And they had come to Israel for this feast. And when Jesus raises a dead man, word spreads like wildfire throughout not just the country, 
But even outside the borders of Israel, as we read, these Greeks that came into the Jewish festival because they'd heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead. So the king of Israel, that's a messianic title. That's what the Messiah would be called. And they were excited because they thought Jesus was the new guerrilla warfare general who was going to lead them in a civil war against the Romans who had occupied their land. But they missed it. They're singing, save us now, great Messiah, from the Romans instead of from our sins. Now, there's great irony here because the Jews had in their Old Testament the exact date of this Palm Sunday walk, this royal entry. In the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 9, Daniel tells the exact number of days from a declaration to rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah would come through the front gate, the east gate of Jerusalem. He said it would be 69 heptaps, the Hebrew word for sevens. 69 sevens, 69 weeks of years. And we know the exact date that Artaxerxes made this declaration and it's all recorded in a book that's in print today called The Coming Prince, written by Sir Robert Anderson. I mention that to you because I always have skeptics that come up and say, that can't be true. Okay, well, you know, check your Amazon account, type in The Coming Prince, Sir Robert Anderson will pop up, obviously an English author. He was the director of Scotland Yard. Brilliant guy, mathematician, also an attorney. And he got interested in the Bible, and he saw this date, worked it all out. It's not a simple exercise because the Jews kept their years with lunar calendar, 360 days in a year instead of 365. So he had to correct for that, and all the leap years and all the various things that happen in a lunar calendar. But he did all the mathematics, wrote the book, and it so influenced the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth, that she became a believer. This book, you can order and read it yourself if you doubt all this. So this guy nails the date, April 6, 32 AD, that the Messiah would come through the Eastern Gate of Jerusalem. And that's the very day he did. Now, it's here, and I'm emphasizing it because I want you to remember that God is a God of order. He's a mathematical God. He created mathematics. And when he says something's going to happen 600 years before to the very day, it happens. Whatever he wants to happen in your life will happen if you'll just surrender to him and wonderful things will come. Great blessings, the fulfillment of who you're supposed to be when you surrender to him. We'll come back to that in a moment. He says, even the number of hairs on your head, he knows. He involves himself with trivia like that. Now, for some of you, that's not a lot of work, but from, <laughs> sorry, bad joke, verse 14. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written. As it is written, yes, he was looking to fulfill a prophecy written by Zechariah hundreds of years earlier. It's the next verse, verse 15. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. That's Zechariah 9.9. 9. 
the exact fulfillment on the exact day that Daniel said it was going to happen. And Jesus is obviously planning this entry so that everything is kosher, all right? Everything happens at the right time in the right way so that we, 2,000 years later, will go, wow, that's a coincidence. <laughs> no, no, that's a God incidence. God made sure it happened. Now, John, the writer of this gospel, is very candid. He said, his disciples didn't understand these things at first. We were lost as a rock, is what John was saying. We didn't get any of this either. But when Jesus was glorified, the word glorified means to display weight, to show weight, the weightiness of a subject or a person. When Jesus is displayed, resurrection, then they remembered these things were written about him. Oh, that's right, the donkey, the right day, being born in Bethlehem, all of it started to add up to him after he rose from the dead. Verse 17, therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. They were there. Okay, so you're in the middle of this Palm Sunday walk, and you're waving a palm. Why are we doing the palms? Oh, it's the king that's coming. Okay, okay. And the guy said, oh, is that the guy that raised the dead guy? Uh, that's the rumor going around. The guy next to him says, no, no, no. I was there. I saw it. They rolled back the stone, and it stunk. The guy was dead. Not kind of dead. Like, totally dead. <laughs> like, four days in the grave, in the hot summer. Spring, anyway. So that's the witness. He said, and they bore witness. I swear it happened. I saw him. Dead guy got up, came out, wrapped in, in clothes from cloths from the burial, hopping. A thousand jokes there. I'll just pass on them. Okay. Verse 18. For this reason, the people also met Jesus because they heard that he had done this sign. So the main crowd shows up, not because they knew the book of Daniel, nobody did, not because they knew Jesus was going to die that week, but they came to see the guy that raised the dead man. Hey, maybe he'll be our guerrilla king to throw the Romans out, and if we get killed in battle, it's okay, because they call us back from the grave. Kind of like, no worries. You can join the army, and even if you're killed, the general will resurrect you. So that's why they're all there. The Pharisees, and these again are the political rulers of Israel in the Jewish religion, said to themselves, you see that you're accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone out after him. We're not making anything happen here. Everybody's going to follow him. Now, they were premature, but it was true. It was going to happen. We live in that time where people all over the earth are getting saved. Communist China, house churches, we support some of them. Vietnam, pick a spot. Kuwait, we have some missionaries who just came back from Jordan. And they had also been in Tunisia and Northern Africa. There are people from this church all over the world telling people about Jesus so that the world has gone out after Jesus. And it's true. It is happening to this day. We're going through the Gospel of John with Pastor Ed Ray here on Grow in Grace, and it's just a part of our Through the Bible study. If you'd like the CD, which contains the complete and uninterrupted message, call us today at 
844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. You can also listen to the program online at thepackinghouse.org. And again, we're at thepackinghouse.org. We're thankful to the Lord for this opportunity to share his word over the radio. And maybe this is a ministry you'd like to support. This would be a wonderful time to hear from you. And we'll say thanks by sending you The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. This is a classic devotional that has moved the hearts of believers for well over a century. Each chapter focuses on one attitude of God, from God's infinitude to his immutability, grace and goodness. I think you'll find it to be both theologically rich and approachable. Again, we'll send you the knowledge of the holy when you give a gift of any amount to grow in grace. Just call us right now at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And if you wouldn't mind in the next day or two, send off an email to let us know you're listening and what you're getting out of the present series in John. It's encouraging to hear how God is at work through Grow in Grace. Let us know what the Lord is doing in your life when you email us at packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us back here next time as we return to our study of the Gospel of John. This has been Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, a presentation of the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick deal and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love.